Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Andrew Clennett is the founder and CEO of Hiringa Energy, a Taranaki-based company pioneering the generation of hydrogen and specifically green hydrogen in New Zealand. Andrew's a former oil and gas man, having worked as a drilling engineer for the likes of Maersk and Todd Energy, but his focus now is on finding a viable alternative for powering industry, transport and our homes. And he's backing hydrogen. Welcome to this climate business, Andrew. Hey, thanks, Vincent. And uh, it's very great to be talking to someone with the namesake of our company. And, well, I was uh, going to say, yeah, I, I look forward to the royalty check. Yeah. <laughs> just, just note the extra e. No, yeah. the um, thank, no, very much uh, appreciate the time and and look, yeah, it's a, it's always a pleasure. Uh, those that know me uh, know the passion that I have for what we're doing as a company and and but really as a, uh, I guess as a professional energy professional for many years and as a as a, I guess a human on this planet. Um, one of the things that I've looked at my background and. And beyond the world of sort of drilling wells to but all the way through to running running major operations and projects and plants and, and sort of integrated energy systems that I've done in my past. And the whole time was sort of gathering those skills, if you like, to how how could we emulate, you know, what what this amazing um, hydrocarbon molecule does to our society, or is there something better? Is there something alternative? What what could we do? And really spotted I guess the the potential of hydrogen many many years ago back in you know, back in high school to be honest when we first uh-huh. playing with the with the test tubes and beakers and and really got some great discussions going and um, I remember at university I studied in Tassie at uni, at uni and because um, I I hail from the southwest island of, of New Zealand Tasmania <laughs> which we 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 treat as a, a special part of Australia but with very very strong I think environmental and cultural alignments and, and passions that, that align very strongly with New Zealand. Mm. And um, and back then we started to see this idea of another form of energy carrier. At the end of the day, you know, fossil fuel is, is, is energy that's been stored by, by Mother Earth over eons and, and, and gathering up that energy and we go and extract it. Uh, and unfortunately, in the extraction of it, we release the we release the the carbon uh, that was captured, and and clearly that carbon release, and typically in the form of of CO two or, or CH four or some other derivatives, that has is having a profound impact on our planet. And what that is then doing the follow on effect to our climate and the our society and 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 also the. The flora and fauna that we are also tasked with, with 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 watching over. So, and when when did you start to put, I suppose, two and two together as uh, as a hydrocarbon engineer, as an oil engineer? When did that start bothering you, as a professional, as an engineer, starting to see the consequences of the industry that you were in? Well, I, I guess the first. The first thing we look at it's it's the energy journeys that we've been on. You know, we for a while there we 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 didn't have any fossil fuels. We were we were burning our forests. We were doing these other things for energy. So there's been this energy journey, and and we've got to recognise that it's been the uh, the access to energy that's actually unlocked uh, human development and and and. Energy in terms of the pyramid of needs, the ability to to provide energy into a system, into a society, into into life, is key. So, a to start with, I think it's always been an imperative to provide that energy. Now, for myself, over time, I looked at where can I have the impact for that energy is a, is a first and foremost. And one of the things that we saw was the move, ironically, was the move, say, from gas fields, from from coal into oil into gas, this, this sort of transitioning mm-hmm. through. And so more and more through my career, looking at, looking at the impact of, of in the fossil fuel space, managing and minimising that, I think, one of the fundamental challenges we started to do, my, my whole career, I was always looking for what, 
how could you do this without those impacts? And 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 the the question's always been, oh, you, you know, you've always got these alternatives. Well, actually, you haven't. But it's taken time. It's taken time for the these technologies to get there. Now, one of the things that I certainly saw was expecting just clean tech companies and startups and and you know um, technologies just to to do it themselves uh, is also not reasonable. At the end of the day, we as a society need to get there. And and if you look at companies that consider themselves energy companies, they need to consider themselves energy companies, not just oil companies or gas companies or coal companies. Mm-hmm. And so the responsibility to apply some of that same capital, to apply those same skills that we apply to oil and gas into helping unlock the clean tech and unlock this answer, I think, was key. And I certainly realised that a long time ago, but also realising, gosh, the skills that I was learning um, in the oil and gas sector and the the scale, the ability to scale, the ability to take a complex technology and create new business models. That's actually what every every oil and gas builder is actually having to solve its own technology problems. And so that's a to, to understand how to do that on scale, understand how to do that commercially is kind of at the core of what the oil and gas industry does. So mm. how can I start to think more and more, how can I apply those skills to really unlock some of these uh, bigger questions and the decarbonisation question on on scale. And and if you look across the the clean tech sector um, and you can see that there are quite a few folks that have have drawn from their experience in those those larger energy companies uh, that have learned how to unlock in the conventional way and are now applying it to to this new way. So to me, my path was to make sure I had those skills and then working out a time effectively to, to take that leap and make it happen. And, the interesting and, uh, thing about all, all of all the examples that you probably could refer to um, about success happen outside of the industry. So it's, it's not the incumbents that make the change, right? It's it's people like you who have to leave the, the comfort of the establishment to go and pioneer a, a new startup, a whole new way of doing things. Uh, otherwise, we would have seen BP carry on with its solar program, wouldn't we? But actually, the, the incumbents are just so wedded to their existing base, it's it's too hard for them to make the leap. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean one of the one of the it's a classic double edged sword, isn't it? Because you need the skills of that industry that it, to do some of these projects on scale, that the the application of that sort of complex technology and integration and vertical energy systems, all those skills you need, but they're not naturally inclined to go there because mm. at the end of the day there's a resource in the ground that is their commercial asset. It needs to be commercialized. And so that business model is a known business model and that works. You know, that works for them. Yeah. Um, until you find an external that prompts that such that that's not working, which we don't have yet, that's 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 working for them. Now I guess there is a bit of a movement going on, but you're absolutely right. That, that to then step outside and bring those those skills, and I, I often say sort of take the best and leave the rest out of those out of those models and start to form that it does take some disruption and it does take if you like dragging some mm. companies with you and bringing some companies with you and and there will look there'll be some that don't that don't don't take it i think there's a really interesting things going on now between the european oil majors and the uh, and the american oil majors i mean literally it's a you, the contrast couldn't be greater with the recent announcements from bp with the recent mm-hmm. announcement but but the counter arguments or counter announcements from the likes of chevron and exxon who are just literally more of the same and doubling down so i think you've really seen that happening now what's prompted that move, I mean, it probably has been some of the players such as ourselves and others that are starting to really um, get some traction and start to show that these business models work. Mm. But also, of course, we're also seeing that the shift in the finance markets, the shift in the expectation of the shareholders, shift in the obligations to the boards such that, you know, if you know of it, if there's a known risk, a board is is tasked with actually mm. um, making sure that a company is addressing that risk. And if, if, if a risk is, you know, potential liability for, the outcome of your product, such as you know, the equivalent obviously being the, the smoking industry, um, yeah. that had the uh, where they've been. There's been the down the downside of that, the fact that they've been started to be blamed for the outcome of their product. Then, then you know, clearly that gets the attention of boards now. And I mean, to be very very fair, we as a society need to really look at ourselves and our behaviours as well. It's not just 
big oil or not just those big energy companies. They are absolutely there. They will absolutely protect their position. They will absolutely look to grow. That's their obligation to their shareholders. But they are also feeding a beast. Yeah, They're also sure. feeding a market. And so how do you break that cycle? How do you introduce the new ways of doing things, the new ways? All right. Of well, energy. let's have a – we'll come back to your particular journey, but let, let's talk about hydrogen as a fuel. So um, I think for the sake of uh, all the dummies in the room, starting with me, g- give us a 101 on hydrogen. Why is it a good fuel? Hydrogen's got a few key benefits. One is it's actually very, very light. Uh, and so what it lets you do is you can start to carry energy at very low weights. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, that can start to have a big impact. But it, it also has things like in because there's a lot of energy in within these molecules, and it's an energy carrier. It's important to remember that it's not it's not an energy source. Um, it's an energy carrier, so it's 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 a form of energy that we can carry around as a molecule. But we can shift a lot of energy by shifting those molecules from one place to the other, and you can shift that very quickly. So it has a real strength to be able to um, say. Fill a, fill a vehicle, you can fill it very quickly because you can shift a lot of that energy from A to B. When you put it into that vehicle, it's, um, it's, it's quite light. So it, it's much lighter than if, I'm, if I've got a truck and I want to go a certain distance, I need a certain amount of energy. Uh, typically, I'll, I'm looking now in modern days for electric energy to, to drive electric drive. But I need a certain amount of energy to shift it. And if I'm going to carry that energy, even if I need a slightly less energy in a battery because of my efficiencies, I'm having to carry the weight of the battery. And as that doesn't really matter whether you win small cars. But as you start to get bigger and bigger, the, the size of that, that battery, for example, becomes very material. And so that starts to then you have to carry battery, additional battery to take over the load of the extra battery that you're carrying, these sort of things. So you start to chase your tail. Hydrogen starts to get over that problem in electrification such that you can add beyond the initial battery that you have, which is just your, your battery you have for like acceleration and, and, and um, regenerative braking, these sort of things. It lets you also add more and more energy without suffering that weight penalty. So, so you say it's, a, it's an energy carrier, but how do you burn it? You know, how do you actually harness or release the energy that's in that? hydrogen molecule yeah so as i mentioned before the typically what we're looking at and and the beauty of hydrogen is incredibly flexible it's a, it's a real it's what we call an energy vector it's a carrier but can apply it to so many different ways but a really uh really cool way uh, that you can use hydrogen for is that is an in an electrochemical reaction so instead of instead of burning it as a if you like a, a, a thermal reaction thermal chemical reaction, um, which you can do. You can actually inject hydrogen into an internal combustion engine and and supplement, say, diesel. Um, But a really efficient way is to instead combine hydrogen as H2 together with oxygen that you've extracted from the air into what's called a, a fuel cell. And that fuel cell is a series of layers that help you actually, you combine the two together and they can recombine into water and release electrons in so doing. So those electrons are now available to to drive your your vehicle, and so the out and the output of that is water. Now the key thing is, in order to do that, you need to have got to hydrogen in the first place. Mm. So and this is where the the fact that hydrogen isn't an energy source; it's an energy carrier comes in. So there are several ways to make hydrogen, but one real exciting way is that you can you can get water. And that's the water you start with. It needs to be good, pure water. So that needs to be managed, but you have water. And you apply an electric current to that water mm. through what's called an electrolyzer, and you split the the water into hydrogen and oxygen. So you capture that hydrogen. So now I've got the energy in the form in the form of the uh, of the hydrogen molecule, which I can then put into my vehicle and combine it, as I said before. It's one of the really important things that it's often talked about you know, any of these sort of processes, they cost you energy, you know. So mm-hmm. the more the more things you need to do in shifting the state of molecules and, and turning it from, you know, water into hydrogen, oxygen and back into electricity, et cetera, you lose, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's thermal efficiencies and, and, and um, thermodynamic efficiencies, sorry, and that you need to manage. And so every time you take these steps, you lose a little bit. 
And so it's making sure that your your net losses um, are, uh, are less than the overall gain. And so what you're wanting to make sure is that we can achieve the right activity. So we can, in fact, if we're looking to shift a truck from A to B and carry a big payload, um, then we need to make sure that it's a, an effective way to do it. If hygiene might be lighter, but if I'm losing too much efficiency mm. on the way, am I better off doing two trucks or so on and so forth? So we yeah. look at that and it's about making sure you've got the right cases. But typically what you'll see is that while um, if I'm, say, needing to move a 30-tonne load, say, uh, 600 kilometres, uh, which might be a normal driver shift, you know, in, in a day, to do that with a diesel truck, I just fill up the truck and I drive it for a shift and I've shifted that load. With hydrogen, you do the same thing. You fill up that truck, you drive it, that shift, and you've, you've moved that load from A to B. If you were to trim heavy load, say, with a battery, um, you, you might have a very efficient charging of a battery, but then the problem is you've got two choices. You can either say, I have a really big battery mm. and therefore I can't with take a lot of weight. the payload I need to carry, in which mm. case I need with a lot of weight. So because I've got a big battery, I've got a lot of weight, so I can't take the payload. So I actually now need two trucks to go carry that load from A to B to, to take that load. Or my other mm. choice is I have a smaller battery and I go less distance, but halfway through the day, I need to charge. And I need to and go and charge And what's the hydrogen contribution? Yeah, sure. And hydrogen fixes that how? Yeah, so that those second two scenarios, it's because I'm carrying, I've got a trade-off choice. I've either got charging time or I've got payload to, to lose. So hydrogen lets you take care of both. So it effectively means that I don't have to charge halfway through so I don't lose my time and I can carry my full payload. So that becomes very material. So that the mm. cost of, say, I might be a, say, I might be, uh, I might use, say, 50% more energy uh, in that one truck to do hydrogen version. But the point is, I'm only, I'd only need one truck, you know? Yeah. So whereas, I don't need the two trucks. So at the end of the day, you end up with a, a gain on a system level. So mm. what you're trying to do is overall in the system, I've been more efficient. Now, it's really important that when we look at decarbonising any, any of our activities, whether it be industry, transport, you know, just our day-to-day -day lives, that, we, that we're looking for the right way to do it. Now, mm. there is not one, one of the things we've got to really be really careful, there's not one silver bullet, you know, there's not one way to decarbonize society. It's going to be a whole series of tools and it's identifying the best tools for the job, for all the different jobs that we have to decarbonize. And so what we've looked at is, okay, where are the places that hygiene makes sense? Where are the places that battery, uh, battery technology makes sense? Where are the places that um, just reducing our consumption should be the highest priority mm. to, to deal with this? So we've looked right across that, and certainly the focus that we have is applying to the areas where hygiene is really going to have a very big impact. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. I want you a real rapid-fire myth-busting series of questions just to get this off our chest. So um, hydrogen is very hard to store because it's so light and so expensive. And so you have to store it in very, very cool conditions and it's a very difficult fuel to look after. Correct or incorrect? Now, I think at the end of the day, there's the technology to store. There's several methods to store from to solid state to strengths. Each one, the application, Application applies to you choose the application what you're looking to do. None of it is in, is very difficult. At the end of the day, it's just a different method of storing uh, energy. Um, it's it's not more difficult or less difficult than other forms. It's just different. So it's a, it's about shifting our paradigm. Um, in terms of the price, now at, at the moment, the price of hydrogen is uh, coming down incredibly rapidly. There's a lot of earlier hydrogen projects were very expensive because the technology was only early stage. But what's happened over recent years is that the cost of renewables coming down and hydrogen is a really, really good way of capturing renewable uh, energy has come down together with the technology 
is starting to scale up. And so the cost of hydrogen, just even in the last two years, for our projects is half the cost as it was two years ago. Is, when we project is that, that ahead, continue? Yeah, absolutely. When we project that ahead, we're going to be well and truly ahead of uh, fossil fuels by the end of the decade. So, I mean, right, at the end of the day, the whole, scheme of, the whole scheme of things. Yeah, another quick fire question for you. Um, we've got a really glitchy line, haven't we? So it's making this quick fire yeah, thing yeah. quite tricky. But um, we're all used to seeing pictures of the Hindenburg um, falling tragically onto the ground in a great ball of flame. Uh, hydrogen seems dangerous, seems associated with the Hindenburg. Yeah, I think one of the things to recognise that all forms of energy has got uh, challenges and has got uh, can ha has had incidents around it. Interestingly, the Hindenburg was not the hydrogen that caused the fire, so it was actually the uh, the outer coating on the uh, vessel itself, which was a hydrocarbon coating that that started the fire. The hydrogen was in the bulk of the thing, and 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 it was the thing that just went vumpa at the end. But already you had a disaster. So that I guess that's a a bit of a nuance on that on that uh, anecdote. But ultimately. All forms of energy needs to be handled, and it's about the differences. It's not about one's worse than the other. You, the, uh, we use liquefied petroleum gas, LPG, and it's a, a really horrible substance that has, can cause enormous explosions just in someone's backyard. So we need to recognise that it's in every form of energy there are hazards that we need to manage. Hydrogen is no different, and it's just something we need to, need to manage properly. Our company started... As a you know, we've got a gas background, and one thing we realise the skills to manage that that hydrogen these those systems that we are building there needs to come from that if you like handling a gas mentality. But it, it's absolutely absolutely manageable. Um, my last quick fire question is that uh, the the problem for hydrogen has been the cost of generation, right? Because you talked about electrolysis as the as a, a method of creating hydrogen. That the the challenge is that the cost of electrolysis outweighs the benefit. So you actually need a massive energy input from some sort of source. In which case, if you um, if you're trying to create a green hydrogen, you you really have to have a green source of electricity. So the cost of production outweighs the benefit. Yeah, when you look at the system level, it's it's a long way the other way. So at the end of the day, the what hydrogen is able to do, one of the key things is that it, it's this energy carrier and therefore it, it can store energy and it can store energy in a very flexible way. So what hydrogen is able to do when you couple it with, with say, renewable, intermittent renewable, is that often when we use electrons, we need to use them as soon as they're, they're put into the system. And so, you know, we, we, we don't have this, the storage problem as a challenge. When we can couple hydrogen with renewable electricity, we can capture all of the electricity generated and store it for later use. That impact is enormous in terms of the efficiency of that renewable energy system. And so that well and truly overcomes some of those conversion efficiency losses that you have because you're capturing en energy that you wouldn't otherwise capture and you're using it in a, in a high-value use such as in transport. So hydrogen in transport is competing with diesel. It's not just competing with electricity, it's competing with diesel, which is an incredibly powerful um, and, and high-value product in the whole scheme of, of the energy systems. So we're able to connect the, the excess renewables that wouldn't otherwise be captured with a high-value use, maybe you know, hours, days, weeks later. That so you, 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 what you're talking about is, in your particular case, and let, let's get to the, um, to the balance um, um, joint venture you've created in Taranaki. So you're taking uh, fuel from uh, electricity from wind farms and using that, using the excess energy from the wind farms to uh, do electrolysis, right, to create hydrogen. Is, is that how it works? Yeah, so we're taking exactly, so from the wind farms that, or the, the wind farm that we're actually building next to the plant, we're actually running the plant on the electricity so it's a renewable project for for the plant but also we're taking that excess so that's the, we're able to capture that when we get the the windy days we grab that into hydrogen one of the beauties of that also is that that plant itself can take hydrogen and so one of the challenges that that has been a barrier for hydrogen has been it's you know to establish this 
infrastructure to establish the technology to make it, these the electrolyzers and, and coupling it with the wind turbines and so on. It's difficult if you don't have a market for it. It's a lot of money to spend if you don't have a market. So what the plant does is it provides a market. Uh, that's that's there will take every every molecule we can make it will take now that market price won't be the same price as for example if we're displacing diesel in a in a truck you know but it's enough to start to underpin and create that offtake and so we're starting to create a commercially viable project so you better tell us that. That you, you better tell us about what the, what the project is just give us a quick background yeah. on that so the idea is that we're building uh, three to four turbines adjacent to the balanced agronutrients ammonia plant. Now that ammonia plant takes at the moment natural gas uh, coming out of the, the local fields in Taranaki and it, it runs that natural gas what's called through steam reforming and which turns it into hydrogen but also releases a whole lot of CO2. Then that plant combines with the air uh, combines nitrogen from the air with the hydrogen to create ammonia, which is then used for fertilizer and can be used for a number of other things. Now, what instead we're doing is we're building wind turbine next to the plant. The electricity from that turbine will run the plant's processes at the moment the, the plant takes from grid but also from gas. And we'll run that plant on the electricity, but as the wind blows more, we'll take that excess electricity and we'll, we'll run it through electrolyzers and combine it with water, split that water, and we get the hydrogen. That hydrogen can now, instead of coming from natural gas and emitting CO2, that hydrogen that we feed into the plant can then combine with the, the nitrogen from the air again and make ammonia. So we've started to manufacture ammonia without having to have the natural gas uh, production supply and having the uh, CO2 emitted. So it's a huge displacement of CO2 or reduction in CO2. Um, also, the a, a really interesting advantage of, of this site is about 40 trucks a day uh, come to this site to, to collect in, in this ecosystem. And those trucks, are diesel trucks, are emitting. So what we're able to do as we start to bring the uh, uh, hydrogen fuel cell trucks, we'll start to be able to flip that fleet over to be running on, on the hydrogen. And so as they're delivering their product around the country, they'll be running on hydrogen generated from the wind turbines, awesome. making the hydrogen into, into, the, into the plant. Awesome. And those trucks are already commercially available, are they? Yep, yep. So the, um, we've recently uh, uh, signed an agreement with a, a, a truck manufacturer called Hyzon Motors. Um, and they've uh, got a really good design. They're using a, a European manufacturer uh, platform that's very common here, uh, the DAF platform. And they're being used across the, uh, across the sort of larger truck focus. So really, as I talked about, there's a big benefit of hydrogen to be in this heavier, heavier transport where you've got payload and time becomes very important. So there are some of these uh, running in China. There's some of these that are starting to roll out in Europe. And, uh, and also there's some big rollouts from other companies in, in the US. And so what we're, we're bringing in is the likes of the Hyzon truck. We're also there's other companies such as Hyundai have got, uh, have got a truck that's uh, running out in Switzerland at the moment. We're, we're looking at bringing some of those in here. And we're working with the trucking companies, you know, with the, the leasing companies and um, the fuel station operators, and we're able to build a network. So we're building a, a network of fueling stations and bring in these trucks. And these trucks will be able to fill up these fueling stations. They'll be able to – we get a lot of coverage. They're around five to 600 kilometres of fill, and some of them will be able to go over 1,000 kilometres in a fill. And they'll be able to fill, it, fill in 15, 15 minutes, a similar sort of time that a diesel truck takes to fill. So effectively, we're, we're replacing the diesel. We don't see battery uh, trucks as being our competitor. Our competitor is diesel. Mm. And, and the quicker that we can displace diesel through all these tools, you know, so battery, battery light vehicles, sort of shorter range battery trucks, hydrogen trucks as we get these bigger range and these bigger trucks, all of these tools we can throw at this and we will take out diesel. Mm, superb. Now, there's another project you've got going on. I think you've already hinted at it, uh, a partnership with uh, Waitomo to create 
fueling stations. And I think you've got quite a, a strong and a big ambition in that space, right? So you've got eight eight stations being built between now and well, within the next year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we looked at how do we, goes back to the question, how do you bring the industry on the journey? And, you know, we could go out and be entirely disruptive and try and go and build our own stations. And But we realised actually we've got, you know, when we look across the country, we analyse where where should we, we put these stations? Where is the market? Where are the trucks going? Where are they coming? We we did a lot of analysis, created, you know, geospatial tools and so on and so forth. And it became very clear very quickly that there are some obvious places to put fueling stations. And so we started to look at, well, who are the players that maybe have fueling stations there? And so the likes of Waitoma and these, these New Zealand independents and, and companies that have got great truck stops in great locations that are right where all the trucks are going already. Mm. So the first place to go, look, let's, let's work with these guys. Let's help future-proof their business. And so, you know, companies like that that have really got a vision, they say, well, we're actually, you know, we sell we sell fuel. We sell fuel to Kiwis is a, is a key logo of theirs. What that fuel is, the, the more and more it's decarbonising, that's just going to be good for business. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the concept of the future fuel stations that they're talking about, you know, the concept of having a, of having a, um, <coughs> a uh, biofuel next to, you know, yes, you'll start with some conventional diesel and petrol, but then putting the different class of biofuel in there, putting the uh, the hydrogen refueling in there, and and we're designing the stations such that it's it's effectively future proof for these to slot in. So it's from our point of view, I mean, it's it's simple that, that the site's there, it's ready to go. We just we have a partnership arrangement with them to go and start to place our stations on. We also realise though that we 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 need to be able to put hydrogen where where. It, is best served to, to unlock the market. So sometimes that ultimately might be in some depots. It might be in on some other uh, companies' sites. We need to be able to all together push along this tech. And that's, I guess, something we're really seeing is that the industry, the trucking industry, the fuel industry, the the um, the, the users of the trucks, there's incredibly open if you like, collaborative approach to this. At the end of the day, we still need to create a commercial model. But what we're seeing is it's almost the competition is driving engagement and performance and and ambitions. And so it's really, it's leadership. It's not competition. So we're seeing our partners with likes of TIL, the the, the Frank Logistics Company that partnered with us early, the the likes of... um, uh, Waitoma, as I was saying, the, the fuel station uh, providers, the leadership they're showing is in helping enable this to happen. And they realise at the end of the day, you know, it's, this is going to be, this is a transition. This is a major transition in, in transport. But boy, they're going to be driving, they're going to be part of it, and they're going to get, mm. you know, they're, they're bang, up, bang up for being first. What's the uh, prognosis, do you think, for the next five years? You know, how long will it take? for hydrogen to be established as a mainstream fuel for trucks? Yeah, good question. So we 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 see and we've sort of analysed with our you know, trucking providers and the different costs that we're seeing and the, the cost that we can achieve with hydrogen fuel production, et cetera, and, and the ramp up, the, the change of trucks, all this sort of starts to build a picture of what we think we can achieve in the transport sector. And we think, Realistically, we can achieve, if you like, an unsupported uh, parity with diesel, which is where effectively the cheapest truck to run and operate and purchase is is a uh, hydrogen truck. We see that that that's definitely achievable by sort of 2025, 20, uh, 2026, 2027. And um, what that does is unlocks a tipping point, right, such that you would no longer be buying diesel trucks and the rate of acceleration from that point is, uh, is, is effectively exponential, mm-hmm. driven by, obviously, the replacement rate of, of vehicles. So from that point, we think the second half of the decade, it's going to make hydrogen going to become ubiquitous. It's going to become mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, our fueling network. We're planning those first eight through 2021, 2022. By 2024, 25, we're planning 24 stations to be online. Um, and, and the second half of the decade, we'd expect to be going up to sort of 100, uh, similar to the size of, you know, the and having the footprint of, of, of truck stops, for example, of the uh, different fuel companies across the country. Um, 
we expect those to be on on existing, you know, with existing companies such as Waitomo. But we can see that it will be game on, really, and it will become a standard. I mean, the task, how we deliver, how we manufacture, and how we produce, that will change. The technology will change over time. The core of the molecule and the molecule providing the strong benefit into that vehicle won't won't change but what mm-hmm. the you know, how we deliver it we're working with the likes of first gas a gas transmission uh operator uh for you know can we start to move hydrogen as part of the blend across the country uh in our pipelines how much do we make it in one place and deliver it and how much do we make it across the country we're already uh in our network planning a combination of those things so it will what we're doing now and what what is coming later will change There'll be other technologies, but it will become more and more ubiquitous. And certainly by the end of the decade, it will be, it will be. We wonder what we're, what all the fuss was about. <laughs> uh, there's some talk about um, hydrogen powering public transport as well, particularly ferries, trains, and buses. Do you have a point of view on that? Yeah, it's it's certainly doing. It's all about the right the right case, the right um, the right use case, talking about the toolkit, having the different tools to decarbonise. So if you take, for example, a bus fleet, a really good example, you, you look at some bus fleets, we're working with the likes of Waikato Regional Council, um, they've got a, a quite a service fleet, series of buses that service sort of the Hamilton area, and some of those buses go in excess of 400 kilometres in a day. And so if you were to try and, um, that's a diesel bus, if you were to try and replace that bus, if you were to just rely on one technology such as batteries, then you'll be having to buy two buses to do that. Um, so what you're... What you're looking to do is, but, but, sorry, at the, other, at the other end, you know, if you're just doing short distances and you can have a charging overnight, a small battery bus or a relatively lightweight battery can be a really good application. So we see that, that, that there's going to be quite a blend in public transport, bus fleets, for example. And so you can go straight today to those higher end um, bus routes and apply a, a hydrogen bus fleet at that end, while you can also have a charging system for some of the shorter run buses at the other end. And and time will tell us when the exact crossover is, but you will you'll fundamentally going forward have a mixed fleet of technologies and hydrogen being one of them. And that's in fact uh, some of the work in California's um, some really good cases in point. They're about a 70-30% mix, 70% hydrogen, 30% battery charging that they're using in their big public transport rollouts at the moment. So that's a really good example. Ferries are another good example, we think. But again, ferries, that it depends on the use case. If ferries are hopping around a harbour and just doing short runs, say, you know, in the Hauraki between out, just out to Devonport in the inner, inner Gulf, out to Devonport and hopping around down to Half Moon Bay, et cetera, those, those sort of distances uh, can be a top-up charging system, a battery charging system. If you're starting to go further out to... You know, uh, you know, out to Waiheke or out to Barrier Island, these sort of things, your distances is starting to say that the battery charging model is starting to be limited. And so the introduction of hydrogen could be effectively extend your range or increase your uptime of that of that uh, vessel. So there's there's quite a role to play there. On, on trains, it's another real interesting one, which is around, it's around, again, the the whole series of technology we have available, and it's the right use for the right case. Regional trains that are going some decent distances but don't necessarily have high utilisation runs. So say the the commuter trains that go out to the Wairapa or up to um, Palmerston North and Wellington. Those sort of trains, they're not operating hourly or, or, or half hourly. They're operating a few times a day, and they could ideally they would be operating more than they do currently because people use them. But that's a classic example where you can start to run hydrogen because you can get the range and I don't need to go and uh, electrify all those lines. The cost of electrification on railways is very expensive, over a million dollars a kilometre. But sometimes if I'm using that train a lot, then it can be justified to electrify. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. we, we, we do see. Electrification is justified. But Using hydrogen to effectively go those longer ranges, some of these trains can go sort of 800 to 1,200 kilometres. And so you can just have a a, a zero-emission commuter rail that replaces the diesel uh, that we use now on on those lines. So those sort of technologies, it's, again, looking at the use case, identifying the technologies available and introducing them in, in the right way. 
You put a lot of yourself into this project, and that's a fantastic uh, demonstration of confidence in hydrogen as as a fuel and as a future. When I talk to people uh, about decarbonising transport, they often express suspicion or an anxiety around hydrogen that as battery technology gets better and better, this, the opportunity for hydrogen becomes less and less. Do you have a, what gives you confidence that hydrogen is really worth investing in as a fuel, particularly for these long haul uh, journeys that you're, you're picking? I think it's important to to sort of take the step back and a natural tendency is to say that we've found a silver bullet. And another thing that when you think you've found the silver bullet, you'll always try and find ways to extend it and extend it. And, oh, it's a silver bullet. We're just going to keep pushing pushing that technology. One of the real dangers with, with batteries, we need to be careful as a society, is it can be the risk of death by a thousand cuts. It's just a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. But with everything that you push one technology, something has to give. So one of the things is that it's look at the system level and where when we look at a system level, so... For example, this is where I think a, a, a battery electric light vehicle model is so elegant because we can we can battery electric vehicles will typically a light vehicle typically commute or stay at home and then go and you know go down the road and come back again. It's got a fairly, if you like, a, a non-challenging uh, use pattern. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we can be very clever. You can charge at night and, and, and manage the grids. You can get smart metering and so on, and you can charge in car parks where people have them during day. So it's a really elegant solution. But if we start to really ramp that up, and and really start to push one technology and just say, oh, these batteries can charge quicker. You can cram more in them. They get lighter. You're ignoring the fact that we've got to get that electron into that into that vehicle and getting that electron into that vehicle isn't so easy. So what we start to do is have a bigger and bigger impact on our grid. And then what you do is you end up with this incredible peakiness. Now, at the end of the day, you I talked about before, when you make an electron, you need to use it unless you can find storage. Now, the amount of storage that we're talking about, if we go that pathway, it's enormous. And in, if we just use one storage technology, such as lithium type technology, that has an impact itself. So it's it's all a little bit about things in moderation. So don't push one tech in another, you know, too far down its non-natural pathway. Hydrogen, yeah, so on the other, hydrogen, on the other hand, has it has these disadvantages of some efficiency issues, but it has some natural advantages over the ability. It's light, its ability to move energy. So it has a natural part to play. Over time, all technologies will get better. So it's not just to say let battery electric technology gets better so it's hydrogen technology it's, it's getting cheaper and cheaper all the time and so it's about making sure that they double down on their best use case rather than saying one's going to dominate over the other it's a toolkit hmm. and uh, tell me about the future for herringer and also for you personally is the what's the end game for for you do you want to stay with the company and see it grow does it have export potential what's your ambition yeah, we started this company to make a big difference, right, at the end of the day. And the, the method that we thought would, the pathway that we thought would um, do this, this was uh, myself and my wife, Kathy, mm. um, was finding that way to drive and find and establish that commerciality of this technology such that commerciality is actually what will what will drive that change at the end of the day. We can only push so far with... with um, a wing and a prayer needs to be able to pay for itself. So Mm. we identified that pathway, and pathway is in these sort of transport applications, some of these industrial applications. But fundamentally what we're looking to do is decarbonise and decarbonise rapidly. You know, how can we achieve the goals that countries committed to and how can we beat those goals? One of the things that I'm constantly terrified is that we as humans wait until 20 we've we've made one promise to to the planet which is Mm. by 2050 we'll have achieved our cop 21 ambitions but i'll be horrified if we got to 2049 and decided we better do something about it because it's too (laughs) late you know um so 
So it's what the human way, Andrew. <laughs> so we looked at that pathway and mapped that out. But fundamentally, we're starting with where can we have the biggest impact? And we can have the biggest impact on these things like this heavy transport. We can have the biggest impact on decarbonising an ammonia plant. Um, we can have that biggest impact of of doing a similar thing with our other petrochemicals. But also you start to see we can do a hell of a lot in New Zealand, but also what we can learn in New Zealand we can take. So there is absolutely an export element to what we're doing, whether it is our, our model of, of how we're applying it. And one of the things that's unique, I think, to our model is it's 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 just got partnership all over it. We partner all the bits with the common glue, but all the supply chain, all the different skill sets we need, we partner in and you create this ecosystem, right? That model is not the natural model of energy companies in many or many businesses. Interestingly, when I say that is be fair in energy companies, the concept of the joint venture was something that energy companies really matured. And that was about sharing the risks bringing the skills, your common skills to the table or, or, or complementary skills to the table and partnering through that. So that model we're already starting to export. We're getting lots of inquiries from Australia, from international, and how can we apply our thinking, our logic, our partnership models, our geospatial tools, all these sort of, if you like, the, the tools of the trade to unlock this. But also I think a really exciting thing is and a great opportunity for New Zealand is the ability as as we start to create these hydrogen ecosystems is that we can scale this up. You know, we can, New Zealand's got such an amazing renewable energy resources that, that's largely untapped. And how can we create that new that new resource and how can we export that? At the moment, we've been exporting our renewable electricity via aluminium. And unfortunately, we've had to import the bauxite to do it. And, and obviously, mm. the, the, mm. that, the economics of that, that system has really fallen over recently. But when we start to look at the hydrogen ecosystem and our partners uh, are partners that really want to see, could, could we bring some of that renewable energy to our country? We can't make that much renewable energy. And, and can we import some of the renewable energy? Can you, can you create a new export industry and work with us? That's pretty exciting if you think about mm. it. I mean, it's about we need to manage that. We need to make sure that we take all the lessons learned of, of energy export industries, you know, the, uh, avoid many of the lessons learned of the LNG sector where they've, they've all just clambered in and tried to build and go crazy and spend too much and, and, and also increase the price of energy in their, in their country. So it's all about managing and taking those lessons learned. Mm -hmm. But out of this, we can create an amazing opportunity. There was some talk of uh, redeploying the energy that was soaked up by TY if TY was to uh, shut down or looks like it's going to uh, of redeploying that for making hydrogen of some form is that was that you that was suggesting that and do you have a point of view about the viability of that um, it's certainly not just that. I mean, it's something we've been we've been looking at and thinking about for a while. It was always on the cards with Ty, um, but many many have suggested it. And and look, it has a lot of merit. We we with our partners that we've formed in, in the projects that we're already doing, we have these strong partnerships such as with with Balance, such as with Mitsui, who are our Japanese partner, um, and we look at the opportunity in TY, but we also look at the situation in TY and Southland. I think one of the important things, we've gone through um, the challenges, we're based in Taranaki, we've gone through the challenges that that when you start to take away or people see that they believe that they're having their livelihood taken away because of the, the transition. Mm -hmm. So this mm -hmm. is the transition from oil and gas exploration. Um, you can see, I mean, they're, in Southland, they're faced with a similar thing. There's a lot of jobs uh, and there's a lot of live, livelihoods and the flow and effect of that, the economic impact, the social impact so i think one of the things first and foremost that we see is making sure that whatever happens down there creates and 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 builds upon what's there already and and i love the term i've i've heard at a, at a conference last year the concept of thrivability beyond sustainability thrivability that's what needs to be created down there so hydrogen we believe it's got a really strong part to play there but it's not just about creating export for example, we think absolutely export should be something that we look at as New Zealand mm -hmm. and TY could mm -hmm. be an excellent uh, site for that. But we also want to say there's all sorts of other flow and effects. We want to make sure there are real businesses going on uh, down in Southland. So the ability to create 
and help create that that transport market um, to supply green hydrogen into into the transport sector. The ability mm. to supply green hydrogen to decarbonise in some of the industry locally, really offsetting imports. You know, at the end of the day, we want to offset fuel imports. Uh, the ability to create our own fertiliser, we offsetting we import tons and tons of thousands of tons of fertiliser into mm. this country, mm. Mm. and um, offsetting that. So. All of hydrogen can, can sort of have, have an arm and part to play in getting to all of those things. And absolutely, yes, let's look at, look at the export scenario. So one of the things that hydrogen can really do is build these ecosystems. And it's not just a hydrogen ecosystem. It's, a, it's effectively electricity hydrogen systems. And, and from that, you can create bolt-on industries. It's really exciting what's going on in Europe's just taking this bull by the horns. They're investing, I think Germany alone is investing uh, something like seven or nine billion euros over the next three years just in hydrogen, building hydrogen ecosystems in the country. Mm. Mm. Um, so the scale to do it, the job creation out of it is, is key in making sure that we're building back better. Sounds like a really good place to stop. So um, if we want to find out more about your business you've got a terrific website hitting us spelled h-i-r-i-n-g-a quite different from my name but uh what does it mean actually hitting her it's a beautiful word it is it's it's a it's a terreo word it means sort of inspiration vitality determination it's sort of a um an energy you know it's like it's sort of got energy at its core it's a real um to me we kind of knew we'd need all of that and so we thought that's just the perfect word because, and, and it means change. So yeah. at the end of the day, we're applying all those to drive this change and, Fantastic. Uh, and, and bringing people as many as we can with us. Good, good stuff. Andrew Clenet, thanks for joining us on this climate business. Thanks, Vincent. And uh, to all our loyal listeners, thanks for listening to this podcast. Just remember that we're part of a podcast network called Podcasts NZ. Check us out. You'll see a whole bunch of other podcasts that might be relevant for you. In particular, if you're keen on hydrogen, you might want to also check in on the EV podcast talking every week about uh, electric vehicles. Uh, once again, thanks for listening and enohora. Uh, Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer. That's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week. Enohorah.